you get to the end of the month, you can't meet your expenses. And unfortunately for too many people, you start to rely on really desperate financial measures, things like payday loans or pawn shop loans, or even selling your blood plasma or even high interest credit cards. And the problem with that is that you fall further and further behind. You might be able to meet your monthly utility bill or your rent bill, but next month you've got to pay even more. And so the child tax credit helped because it was monthly. So it smoothed people's incomes. It gave people some security and stability. And then of course, it was an increased amount of the child tax credit. So if you had a kid under six, you got $300 a month, six and over, you got $250 a month. You know, that is not enough to live on, but that's enough to create some breathing room. Those child tax credits, it was more than just a check, right? It was a sense of security. It was the ability to pay for sports equipment. It was the ability to fix your car if you needed it to get to work. We found a lot of people actually um, got more professional training to do better in their jobs. So, so many things. And the more important thing to us is that gave parents the choice. Parents know what their priorities are. And, and this was money that was no strings attached. You know, they, the child tax credit just came to parents and said, here, you know what's best for your family, spend it on your top priority. And that's what they did. 70% of families spent it on their top priorities, like utilities and rent and food. And by spending it on the top priorities, which you mentioned, it boosted the economy. People, our economy is based on consumer spending. It is not based on anything else. Like 72% of our GDP is based on consumer spending. So when we as families don't have funds to spend, when we experiencing pay discrimination, when we're pushed out of the labor force, when all kinds of havoc rains down on our economic security, it actually hurts the economy of the United States of America. And that I think is really important to mention. So given that we all know that these types of policies, the monthly child tax credit expansion, not just help families, but helps our economy and our businesses, because when people are pushed out of the labor force, when they can't afford things like childcare, we get supply chain issues in businesses because they have gaps in staffing coverage. This is a big deal. And so even though we know that this policy helps families, helps the economy, helps businesses, Republicans stood in the way of it continuing. Why? I want to know why. And also I'm yelling this not just at you, but at like the sky. Why? <laughs> you know, why? Why? What is the why? Uh, I was yelling a lot yesterday as well, for sure. When those numbers came out, I think a couple of things. I think one one thing to keep in mind is, you know, voters across the country absolutely support the child tax credit. And in fact, four out of five voters believe that we should expand the child tax credit and not focus on tax breaks for corporations and wealthy um, people. Unfortunately, that's what Republicans are trying to do, right? They have a bill they've passed. They're trying to expand corporate tax breaks. Um, Democrats have a bill that's trying to expand the child tax credit. So, so that's one problem. Priorities are just different. Second problem is um, some Republicans believe that if you give the child tax credit to families, especially all low-income families, that somehow that's going to make people quit their jobs. We know that $300 a month isn't enough to quit your job. It's enough to create breathing room. And, and there's no evidence whatsoever from everybody who's looked at people who got that monthly child tax credit that it had an impact on employment. And in fact, as you point out, Kristen, it helped the economy. It boosted local economies. We heard from small businesses that the child tax credit helped them make ends meet, and it brought more customers into their stores and neighborhoods. And I just want to really have every person who's listening call their member of Congress, especially their Republican members of Congress, and say, 
Why are you hurting our economy and our businesses by not using a policy that is proven to lift us all? Um, in our forward policy, you know, why are we letting that go into the history books? I'm just so annoyed. I'm so annoyed right now. I'm annoyed also by what's happening in Washington, D.C. with our national budget. Are you? Yes. And I'm, I'm supremely frustrated. So this is where you get to crazy time in Washington, D.C., where partisan politics gets in the way of people doing their jobs. The one thing Congress has to do every year is pass bills to keep the government running, to keep important programs going, uh, like the Women and Infant Children program, like food, uh, food and nutrition programs, um, you know, so many important programs. And they are turning this into a political football to make points back home. What we do know works at the local level. And while the child tax credit expired at the federal level, um, the number of states that have child tax credits have more than doubles. To your point, governors saw that this was good economics as well for their local economies. And so now we have twice as many states with child tax credits as before. And this was red states like Utah, as well as blue states like Minnesota and Maryland. And so to your point, we've got crazy time in Washington, D.C., where Congress isn't even doing its job. And it may well be that the government will shut down uh, before they get their act together. And meanwhile, we saw states plow ahead and take this tried and true anti-child poverty, pro-family policy of the child tax credit and start implementing it at the state level. So we have good examples of what to do and how to act and what not to do. Exactly. And I think it's really important for listeners to have hope through this all. Like, it doesn't have to be this way. These types of political fights show why your vote matters, show why you having common sense matters. The reason or one of the reasons that you gave for Republicans opposing some of these policies are nonsensical. And that is that there is an idea that $300 a month would cause people to stop working altogether. What? That is out of touch. Nobody can live on $300 a month. Instead, what we find is that families who get that extra $300 per child per month are able to go to work. And studies show that. Our workplace data shows that. We have increased labor force participation with the child tax credit expansion to be a monthly payment. And we see that in the data. And that's because people can now afford to pay for childcare, which costs more than college. So we have nonsensical reasons to oppose these. And what keeps you going? What gives you hope through all of this? Um, what keeps me going is when I get to work with groups like Mom Ri Moms Rising. I have to say that um, we got to work with so many of your excellent moms and bring them into congressional offices. And there's a real path at the end of this year, actually, to try to get an extension of the child tax credit, um, mostly because Republicans want to push their corporate tax breaks and Democrats want to push the child tax credit. So there's actually an opportunity and a path ahead to do that. So that's Ooh, what gives that's me good. hope. Yeah, that's what gives me hope. People weighing in with their offices, making sure it doesn't matter what zip code you live in. Um, you shouldn't be living in poverty and your kids shouldn't be living in poverty. And it doesn't matter whether you voted Republican or Democrat. You should be weighing in with your representative and saying, I want this tried and true child tax credit to come my way again. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I think is important and isn't often talked about is that in many places, 
Actually, there's a higher percentage of Republican families living in poverty than Democratic families. And so Republican leadership is out of step with their own constituents, people. And so I, I just wish that we could break through and talk about it more, like talk about the reality of being a parent in America and the high costs that parents are experiencing and the lack of a care infrastructure, things like childcare costing more than college or something that even the Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell named as being a hindrance to our international competitiveness as a nation. You know, these issues should not be political issues. And in fact, polls show that Democrats, Republicans, independents, libertarians, all the peoples um, want to have a care infrastructure. And that includes that expanded child tax credit. And the Republican leadership is just simply out of step. So I'm so glad to hear that you think there's a path forward. And I just want to remind people that there is always an election sometime soon. So if you are listening, make sure that you are registered to vote. And then when you do vote, make sure that you research where does that candidate stand on the policies that we're talking about right now? Because again, these policies are being used as partisan political footballs in our nation's capital, but across the country where real people really live, they're not partisan footballs at all. They're just daily life. What are your thoughts in closing? I couldn't have said it better myself. And I think the most important thing as an advocate that's pounding the pavement in Washington, D.C. every single day is that people hear from their constituents because, again, they're, they're believing the Republicans are believing in some sort of myth that they have in their head about the impact of the child tax credit. If they talk to actual moms from their districts and realize, look, this helped people get better food. This helped kids, um, you know, go back to school. This helped fix your car. This helped in so many different ways just to give families breathing room and get rid of some of these wacko myths that they have in their heads about what happens when you give families money on a monthly basis and let them decide for themselves how to spend it. That should be a very Republican freedom. Yeah type of policy, right? Yeah. Can we have the freedom to raise our families already and the freedom to decide what to do with our own bodies already? Hello. Who is exactly. the freedom party? <laughs> Democrats, by the way. Democrats. In case anybody's wondering. Oh my gosh. Thank you for being on. Thanks for all you do. Thank, thank you. you for advocating for all of us. And thank you for moving us toward economic security and justice. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to take a quick break, but stick around. We'll be right back with our next guest talking about World Contraception Day and why contraception matters across the generations. Super interesting tidbits for you. We'll be back in a quick flash. Kristen Ralph Finkbeiner, powered by Moms Rising. We are joined by a spectacular guest, Jada Joof of Moms Rising, who I am so, 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 so excited you are going to hear from because she is lifting our nation and changing our nation for the better each and every day. Welcome, Jada. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I'm even happier because coming up is an important day. It's a day that we rarely talk about, but everybody should be talking about it because more than 90% of people in America actually are involved in this day, whether they know it or not. And that is World Contraception Day. In yeah. the world, again, more than 90% of people use contraception at some time or another, but we rarely celebrate it or have you know a conversation about the day about it. What's happening with World Contraception Day? Yes. Yeah, so on Tuesday, September 26th, we'll be celebrating World Contraception Day and commemorating the importance of contraception globally. 
This day is recognized by the World Health Organization, but not without the leadership of advocates who have supported contra contraception and abortion ac access for decades. This year is especially important, though, because we'll also be celebrating the FDA's recent approval of O-Pill, which is a daily progestin-only birth control pill used for over-the-counter use for people of all ages. And um, this victory is is a landmark achievement. It's really um, a win for us in the reproductive health world. Um, and it would have not been possible at all without the nearly two decades of work by members and our partners from the Free Free the Pill Coalition and the support um, and public testimony given by many of our partners during the FDA's Joint Advisory Committee meeting, um, including our own Monifa Vandele, who gave an, a powerful um, testimony on that day. And if folks are interested, you can go on YouTube and find it as well. I love it. I mean, Free the Pill, and you can also check out Twitter with hashtag Free the Pill, is such a powerful, as you said, campaign to make sure that everybody who needs access to contraception has access. It's going to allow people to get over-the-counter birth control pills without having to take time out of work, to go yep. to the doctor, without huge costs. Yep. And it's really important because, again, the majority of people at some point in their life need access to birth control. So what's the goals of World Contraception Day? Well, our, our goals within the Free the Pill Coalition and reproductive justice movement as a whole is to continue to elevate what true reproductive justice means to us. Um, that means increasing equitable access to birth control pills in the United States, as you mentioned, Kristen, spreading the word as much as possible about the first ever over-the-counter birth control pill, and doubling down on helping to ensure that over-the-counter birth control pills are priced affordably and fully covered by insurance. Um, which is a whole nother fight, to be honest. Um, but all of that goes into what we're aiming to do on that day. But, you know, all of this is particularly important when we factor in the fact that abortion access is almost no longer across the nation, including access to me uh, medication abortion, as we're seeing um, with the fight um, for Mifepristone to stay on the shelves and remain on the shelves and available for people that need it. But because racial and economic economic disparities in healthcare already exist, what we will see and what we are actually already seeing is that women and mothers, black, brown, Latino, indigenous, gender nonconforming people, and people in the LGBTQIA plus community, immigrants, young people, and people with disabilities are most impacted by this as a whole. Yeah. And I will specifically highlight that indigenous folks are too often left out of this conversation. Um, I recently learned that there are over 500 tribal communities in the U.S. and many of these tribes operate as communities and, not, and are not listed as official tribes, um, which means that they're not receiving the funding for things like abortion access. Um, birth control pills and, you know, things um, <clears throat> included in reproductive health care. Um, and, you know, this goes also for minority groups who have firsthand experienced the racist history of family planning and lack of access to reproductive health care. So the work, um, the work we're doing for this day, um, towards this day and every day beyond that is incredibly important. Um, 
And it's also really important that we acknowledge the historical trauma that is still taking place today um, amongst indigenous tribes and people of color. And, you know, at the end of the day, as a Black woman, I would probably never trust the healthcare system that has failed us from the very start. However, I do believe that this day is symbolic because it is our chance to restore trust and power within our communities and give us the power back and empower us to make decisions over our own lives. Oh, 100%. Thank you for sharing all that you just shared. It's really, really, really important. And we know that family planning goes beyond just health. Would you say it's intergenerational and how? I love this question. I say yes, absolutely. Um, You know, we recently convened at the annual Free to Pill Coalition meeting on Tuesday this week, actually. Um, It was a beautiful meeting. So many brilliant ideas flowed. But there was this one person who mentioned that oftentimes in the conversation around reproductive health and abortion access and contraception, we almost always forget about mothers and, you know, our moms, our aunties, people who are, who are still sexually active, who still have active love lives um, and could use all of these services just as much as um, our daughters and the younger generation of adolescent people and women. Um, so family planning is definitely intergenerational. And I think as we continue to do this work, we'll broaden the minds of folks who have never thought about reproductive access in this way. It's kind of the same epiphany we had um, as an organization when the New York Times statistic revealed that six in 10 people who have abortions are already moms. Um, that I feel like that moment put us in the ring like, yes, this is our fight too, and we have to win um, because you know mothers' lives depend on this level of access some of the statistics that I picked up from World Health Organizations, according to their research, having access to low cost contraception and its uptake through family planning programs has reduced high risk pregnancies, maternal and child mortality, teen and unplanned pregnancies, and has even improved child health and nutrition. The act of Plan, this idea of family planning and the act of family planning and contraception use reduces maternal mortality by over 40%. Whoa. That's a lot. I, that's you know, a lot. I recently learned that as well. So when it comes down to it, the act of family planning is literally saving lives um, throughout generations, throughout families, um, and it impacts all of us. Yeah, I mean, and saving lives is so critical. People don't realize that in the United States of America, we are the only World Health Organization country where maternal mortality, meaning maternal deaths, is going up, not down, and that Black women are three to four times as likely to die in childbirth as white women. This is not okay, people. This is not okay. We need to have every solution available to us, including access to equitable health care and access to contraception. As you just said, that saves 40% of people's lives. That is huge. Um, What should people understand in addition about access to contraception? Well, you know, I recently learned from our friends at Power to Decide and attended this wonderful conference um, over the summer around family planning and, and had a chance to meet with a bunch of organizations, Title X organizations. Um, but I, I learned that there are there are 19 million women right now living in what we call contraception deserts um, and don't even know it. 
This means that 19 million right now have little to no access to doctors that could provide contraception, doctors who can answer questions about their health, information about abortion services, and the list goes on. And living in a contraceptive desert means that they lack reasonable access in their county to a health center that, that offers a full range of contraceptive me methods. 1.2 million of these women live in a county without a single health center offering the full range of methods. That's millions of people. <laughs> millions and millions. Um, I mean, it's yeah. awful. I've seen some of my own relatives who live in more rural areas not be able to get an appointment for any type of reproductive health checking, much less the full suite of reproductive health services that are needed. It is a huge tragedy, people, a huge tragedy. What are your thoughts? It is. You know, when you factor in all of the things that people have to do once they finally do get an appointment, I mean, they have to find a babysitter. They have to take time off of work. Um, they have to travel long distances, plan their trips ahead of time, on, and all just to access birth control. <laughs> all yeah. of this just to take care of themselves, to receive an abortion. It's a lot of work financially, economically socially having to, to depend on families you know there are just so many factors to consider which is why this win with opil is is seriously a really big deal yeah um, we know that we can rely on um at least rely on pharmacies to provide over-the-counter birth control um to provide where it's legal mifepristone if you need it for an abortion um, you know, it's it, it's incredibly important that these that we focus on um, access when we're having this conversation around what people need. Um, and, you know, every day there's le legislation that is being pushed intentionally to keep con contraception out of reach for adolescents use. So adolescent youth and people that need it. Um, you know, legislation that requires parental consent and denies birth control without it. And so many states are creating these copycat bills, much like the ones we're seeing around abortion care as we speak, to deny folks from utilizing services that support family planning. So it's like if you feel like you're out of touch and out of reach about, around reproductive health care services, it's because you are and it's it's very intentional. Um you know, state governments are setting it up this way so that we don't have access. Um, That's awful. And we just heard from another guest that places like Texas are even trying to make it illegal to use roads to go to other places where you can get access to things like um, contraception and reproductive health care. Um, it is awful. It is just awful. We have about two minutes left. What can people do? Like what type of action should people be taking? How can they get involved? This is critical. Yeah. And these policies about contraception access, reproductive health access, maternal justice, maternal health equity are supported by the majority of people in the United States of America. We have a small, very vocal, well-funded minority pushing us literally off a cliff. So what can we do together to respond? That's right. Like you said, majority of the people in this nation support abortion access. Majority of folks, over 90% of folks support birth control, over-the-counter birth control. And so it's not all bad. The good news is that advocates and providers, what we're seeing now is that advocates and providers are working together. 
Um, this means that your doctor, your local doctors are working with folks like advocates like us from Moms Rising and other reproductive health co um, organizations to remove this idea that we have to separate care from community because the two go hand in, hand in hand. So this means that as we're transitioning into this new way of care, our voices are super important. And what the people like you and I want and need is the center of all of the work that we're doing. So, um, you know, I think that we have to absolutely continue raising our voices and, you know, like I said earlier, continue to establish trust um, within this new system and World Contraception Days is a, a step forward in establishing trust, trust between um, providers and their clients again and uh, establishing ways to empower folks to speak on what it is they need, what it is they need, how they would like to receive care. Um, and restoring reproductive um, care and justice and taking back what belongs to us. And I just want to mention a few organizations that have been leading on this work for decades and where you can find more information about how you can participate and continue to advocate for reproductive health care in your um, community. So the first one is IBIS Reproductive Health. Um, that's spelled I-B-I-S. Um, you have Sister Reach. Power to Decide, um, Dr. Rero of Dr. Rero for Moms, that's Rero with a V, and then a doc Dr. Um, Anitra Beasley, who's an amazing physician based here in Houston, Texas, where I am. Um, and so feel free to look up those folks if you have more questions about World Contraception Day and um, how folks are taking action on abortion care access. Thank you so much. Thank you for being on with us, Jada. Thanks for all that you do at Moms Rising and in coalition and community. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Kristen. We're going to take a quick break, but don't go away. Next up, what's up with Texas trying to stop people from driving on roads to get reproductive health care? What's up and how do we help stop it? We'll be back in just a quick moment. Breaking through with me, Kristen Rao Finkbeiner, powered by Moms Rising. We are joined right now by the amazing, spectacular Rachel Carmona with the Women's March. Welcome, Rachel. Oh, hello. I'm so glad you're on. There's a lot of weirdness happening in the world. And I'm wondering if we could start out talking about some of the weirdest of all the weirdness. The Republicans' looming effort to impeach the newly elected Wisconsin Supreme Court Judge Janet. <laughs> because she's got a conflict of interest before she's even ever heard a case. Yes. yes, because she's going <laughs> to rule on cases that impact abortion rights and democracy. Yes, what's happening and, in Wisconsin. Well, there's what's happening, and then there's what's happening, which is always part of the you know the situation to untangle. And long story short, um, the GOP has gerrymandered the hell out of Wisconsin, and they want to stay gerrymandered, so they don't want any cases moving forward to a Supreme Court with a liberal majority that can mess with their gerrymandering and which which guarantees them majorities in the House and the Senate. And so they are trying to stop her from doing her job that she was duly elected, overwhelmingly elected to do in the election in January. Um, 
in, in, in that election in January from many of the um, people of Wisconsin was seen as a referendum on the abortion ban as well. So there's a lot of things tangled around, but long story short, the Republicans lied, cheated, and stole their way into a, a majority in the House and the Senate Wisconsin that they're trying to protect. And um, impeaching Judge Janet is um, one of the quite bonkers links that they're ready to go to um, in order to protect that because, because of course, they can't win on merit. So they, they are stuck with lying, cheating, and stealing. Lying, cheating, and stealing is awful. And also, it's a <laughs> subversion of democracy. People went to the polls and voted. And voted. Justice. They mm-hmm. voted for this justice. And so what is happening? How can people get involved? How can people help save democracy? Save the judicial branch, people. We should not be messing with the judicial branch. What yes. do you do? So tomorrow we will be launching an action um, in order to get prepared for um, the eventuality of GOP hijinks in Wisconsin. Um, So you can go to womensmarch.com to keep your eyes um, peeled around that. And those actions will just be um, recruiting people to get ready to, to, you know, stand up mobilizations um, whenever the Republicans decide to launch their attack. Now, you know, there are a lot of things that they have to figure out before then, because, um, you know, one of the things that we know now in 2023 is that every time abortion or an a proxy vote for abortion is on the ballot. Uh, Republicans get taken to the woodshed. <laughs> they get their clocks cleaned. So um, they're trying to thread a lot of needles right now. So they're trying to figure out how to, you know, keep her from doing her job and trying to keep the, you know, people of Wisconsin from, you know, getting the things that they voted for. And they're also trying to figure out how to keep their seats. Ultimately, what they're trying to do, you know, is keep their their seats that they, um, you know, are protecting through very undemocratic means. Um, and so what kind of hijinks? Um, we, we think we know what the hijinks will be. There may be a curveball here, but whatever that is, we're going to be ready. Womensmarch.com. We're going to stand up uh, mobilizations, um, you know, and maybe get into some other kinds of good trouble, um, you know, in response to whatever they pull out of a hat. Yeah. I mean, and this is really interesting and important. I think we're coming up on a presidential election in 2024. Mm-hmm. Wisconsin mm-hmm. is a key state. It's an absolute key mm-hmm. state. It's a key electoral college state that can actually determine who wins and who loses. And has. And has. And mm-hmm. has in the past. And so do you feel like this is a test case of subverting democracy, subverting voters <laughs> in Wisconsin with an eye also on trying to grab the White House? I'm a little on the fence. Sometimes I feel like our side gives them a lot more credit than what they deserve. Um, And I think right now these desperate Republicans in Wisconsin are so much more focused on keeping their own seats than in 2024, because I think that if they were looking ahead to 2024, they would realize precisely how wily Coyote their strategy you know, kind of is. So I think that I'm not really sure, but I, you know, if I, if we're looking at the outcomes of ballot initiatives and and how abortion has performed, you know, on the ballot when the people vote over the last couple of years, what we know is that these actions may well hand the state to Joe Biden, you know, and move a couple of seats. Now it might not disturb their supermajority, of course, because they have, you know, again, gerrymandered this map, but um, 
the idea that this action would be without political and electoral consequences is absurd on its face. Um, and so I think that, you know, this is an opportunity for the American people because the thing about autocrats and fascists and dictators is that, you know, at some point they always overplay their hand. And this could be that moment in the state of Wisconsin. In the state of Wisconsin, for sure. So everybody, get involved, stay involved, keep your eye on Wisconsin, support the Women's March, do all the things to protect the judiciary, the people of Wisconsin, and the United States of America. Speaking of overreaching, let's talk about Texas. We just talked about Wisconsin. Now let's talk about Texas. I'm afraid every time I hear the phrase, let's talk about Texas. So if you listeners are feeling some fear right now, some anxiety. It is actually warranted because there is a proliferation of new anti-abortion sanctuary city laws in Texas, which would get this, criminalize using local roads to travel on for out-of-state abortions. What? What is happening, Rachel? <laughs> well, the absolute winners that brought us SBA, which is a lawyer um, and an incel pastor um unclear you know what, what what church you know he leads um have um been launching a campaign around texas mostly in the western part of texas to create sanctuary cities for the unborn and this has passed in odessa texas lubbock and then uh, one other smaller city now these are being chosen very carefully because these cities have major highways moving through them west to east east to west um so the sanctuary city for the unborn legislation on its face seems like oh well why are you getting stirred up because they're banning abortion in these cities um but you know texas or texas already pretty much you know has has a ban and and you know of course the the you know the republican mob is is trying to set up for an, a national ban fight in all the ways whether proxy or not you're attacking mifepristone or not um so why you know, why is this worth getting stirred up about? There's a couple of pieces on the Sanctuary City piece that that um, is alarming. And what that is that it's not it, the ban is not just the cities, but the highways that run through the cities. So if you look at these cities, there's not a lot in West Texas. Um, so if you're moving through somewhere like Amarillo, Lubbock, um, from other parts of the state, it's actually the way that you get to New Mexico. And New Mexico is where folks are going to get abortion care right now from Texas, because, of course, there is a ban. Um, so they are trying to attack the highways, um, and they are trying to continue the vigilante justice that started with SB8. And for folks that might not remember, that allows people to sue each other in civil court and not, so it's not the state, it's people suing people, um, around the act of, you know, aiding and abetting abortion, essentially. So we already have cases where um, this particular lawyer who's behind these proposals um, is helping a husband sue his wife for receiving abortion care. It's very um, insidious because while Texas is not able to do these things and there and it's and it's a clear violation of interstate laws, like you can't control where people travel, etc. There's actually nothing that stops civil you know, suits from doing this. And so they are gaining traction, you know, in places where they have stacked city council. So the next place that this is going in front of a city council is where I live, Amarillo, Texas. And so there's actually no women on the city council of Amarillo, Texas. In places where it has been stopped, it has been stopped by women um, from the GOP who are like, hey, this seems kind of bananas. Um, this is too much. 
there's a question of personal liberty. There's a first, there's a question of interstate travel. There's a question of there's, there's a number of questions that we need to be solved. Like how is this, you know, how is this enforceable? And so this will be in front of the Texas city council on the 26th and we will be there too. Um, and we intend to put up a fight here and anywhere else where they attempt the sanctuary cities um, for the unborn. And we, you know, intend to, you know, put a fight, put a fight up on So it just does continue to get, you know, wild in Texas. Seems like there's no end to the wildness. And how can people help? I'm sure people are on the edge of their seat listening and going, <laughs> no, we cannot have three councils across Texas saying you may not use roads. You may not use roads to get the needed necessary health care. And I want to yes. remind our listeners, the majority of people in the United States of America, Democrat, Republican, Independent, Libertarian, all the peoples agree that we need access to abortion care. Like that is something that is pretty universally supported. And it's not just a me super saying, majority. Polls say mm -hmm. it. And also in mm -hmm. every state, red, purple, blue, when it comes on the mm -hmm. ballot, voters universally, including Wisconsin, which we're talking about, support access mm -hmm. to abortion care. So we need to, you know, have access to health care by being able to drive on a road. How can people mm -hmm. get involved to say this is ridiculous when it's going so to like city council? You know, yes, if you're in Amarillo or any other cities where this um, these proposals are, are, you know, in front of city council, go down, go to the meetings, you know, oftentimes these um, meetings and, and, and actually elections for city councils, you know, are passed by just the slimmest. It's hundreds of people who are electing folks, not thousands. This is not um, a margin of victory that is completely on, you know, you know, that that we just cannot um, defeat. So I think it's a couple of things. Short term, if this is in your city, if you're in Texas, or if there's, you know, anything like this in your city, um, put it on our map. We have a, um, on womensmarch.com, we have a map that we are mapping fascism. Um, we are trying to line up our movement resources with the uh, attacks on our communities so that we can be very clear on this is where, um, you know, this is where the fight is. And so this is where the resources need to be. This is where the people need to be. This is where we need to build um, multiracial, multi-class, multi-issue coalitions in order to fight back against these things. If you're in Amarillo, like I am, um, then go to the city council on the 26th and we'll have more information about that on our action hub at womensmarch.com. And um, you can go there and we will also have petitions for folks um, who are outside of Amarillo, who may be outside of Texas, who um, could be impacted. If you know anything about geography, you know that the panhandle of Texas is this little strip and then you've got the panhandle of Oklahoma, that is also this little strip. But the road that goes through Amarillo to get to, to New Mexico is, Something that folks from Oklahoma City, from Tulsa, from Amarillo, um, you know, perhaps places in Kansas, um, maybe as far away as Arkansas, um, might use to access care, um, you know, if that's the closest place or if it's the most accessible place to them, because we know that waiting times and things like that are just out of control, you know, all over the place. And so um, if you're in those places, if you're impacted and you are impacted, everybody knows somebody who has had an abortion, you know, so if you are um, an impacted person, keep your eyes womensmarch.com you know um sign our solidarity petitions and then if you are in a place where your city council is meeting um you know go and make your voice heard and then longer term run for city council yeah. um vote for city council <laughs> yeah um you know the reason why a lot of these seats are filled by these bought and sold republican mobsters is because they're uncontested so they contest put a put a hand in their face you know we have to play there's there's no movement that has ever won on on offense alone we have to be on offense and, and defense 
And there's no movement that has ever won anywhere without people taking action, without mobilization. So it's get involved, find a political home. It doesn't have to be Women's March. It could be anywhere you want. Get involved, stay involved, get your people involved. And we need to, this is a fight worth making. Our democracy really, we say it every year. We, Chris, you and I have talked about this every time. We're like, it's it's the most important election ever. This one, it actually really is the most important election. I, I mean, it's just like increased pressure over time on democracy. So oh. everybody who's listening, listen to Rachel. Get involved, stay involved. Get involved with the Women's March. Keep an eye out for the Women's March Women's Convention, which surely we need. You're hearing about it right now. And yes. that's happening in Milwaukee this October. Information about that Women's Convention is on the Women's March website. Thank you, Rachel, for being on. Thanks for all you do. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for having me. We're going to take a quick break, but don't go away. Next up is government shutdown. Doom. Yes, it's happening. How can it be averted? We'll be back in a quick flash. We're going to fight for love. Me, Kristen Rao Finkbeiner, powered by Moms Rising. We're joined by amazing, spectacular, wonderful guest, Alyssa Schmier of Moms Rising. Woo! Welcome, Alyssa. Hi, how are you? I'm great, but America's democracy is not so great. Republicans in the U.S. House are threatening a government shutdown, are trying to hold the budget hostage, are doing all kinds of terrible things. And what in the noodle is happening, Alyssa? Yeah, so Congress came back this week from their uh, summer recess. Um, they were gone for about a month and a half or so, and they are <laughs> back and on fire. Uh, the House Republicans are causing all sorts of issues, kind of holding families hostage, basically, um, in an attempt to, you know, wrangle control um, from um, Speaker McCarthy. Uh, play some political antics, uh, shut down the government, you know, depending on which Republican you ask, they might have a different reason. But basically what's happening is um, unless they pass a federal budget by the end of September, the government will shut down. And before the House uh, left for recess for the summer in August, they did pass a number of budget bills, but every single one of them was highly problematic from a point of view of families, women, LGBTQ people, communities of color. Um, in certain areas, they massively slashed funding in like K through 12 education, WIC, childcare, uh, environmental protection programs. Um, but they kind of doubled down and went beyond that. So in areas where they might've like kept level funding, which is not great, but you know, at least it's not a cut, they also included uh, what we call poison pills. So uh, making it harder to get an abortion, which is already super hard to begin with in a lot of states. They put in anti-LGBTQ language. They put in language um, against uh, education programs on you know race and gender issues. They, of course, attack trans kids because they love attacking trans kids, the House Republicans. And so their budget is uh, basically a massive mess, um, a massive attack on children, families, women, um, democracy as a whole. Um, so, yeah, so basically 
um, that's a no-go in the Senate. We have a completely different set of reality happening in the Senate. We have uh, Senator Patty Murray working with Senator Susan Collins on a bipartisan basis to uh, pass spending bills um, out of the Appropriations Committee um, and move those to the floor. And so they're doing kind of like business as usual, the type of work that Congress should be doing, making the hard decisions for how we fund programs that lift up our families and economy. Um, and then the House is over, you know, the House Republicans are basically causing chaos. And so this is all going to come to a head in a couple of weeks when we have to decide, like, are we going to pass a budget or not? And if they don't, the House Republicans are going to force a government shutdown. And this is in a time when Republicans say they're, quote, for family values, end quote. But what they're doing is the opposite, exact opposite of valuing families. It is the height of hypocrisy. Would it be possible for you to share a little bit about what types of hypocrisies you're seeing right now in the United States Congress? I mean, I see them every day. I'm so curious what your top list is going to be of hypocrisies. Yeah, so they are saying that they care about families, um, that they are the party of family values, but it's anything but. They are waging culture wars right now at a time when what we really need them to do is fund programs and keep our government running. Um, but they're doing things, you know, they're completely not focused on families in the House because House Republicans this week uh, said that they're going to start the process of trying to impeach President Biden. Um, on totally bogus charges. Um, this is just political retribution um, against the Democrats for actually trying to impeach a president that actually broke the law. Um, and then you have some senators over on the, you know, on the Senate side, Senate Republicans, um, you know, making a mockery of a hearing on uh, book bans um and and making it seem like this is you know that we're trying to teach uh sexual content to kindergartners when that's clearly not what is going on um but that is the culture war aspect of it the actual policy aspect of this is that they want to uh so severely cut wick that we will see um for the first time since the 1990s uh wait list for wick recipients this means that you know, uh, new moms, babies, toddlers, pregnant women potentially could see a cut to their benefits. They might not be able to get on the program at all. Um, and this is, you know, for a program that is traditionally seen bipartisan support that we know is crucial, especially at a time right now where we see record um, levels of child poverty. Um, so there's like real policy uh problems and ways that they're attacking families um, when they claim to be the the party of family values. And I'm so glad you raised the child poverty issue. We just saw the Census Bureau report that child poverty is at one of the highest levels that it's been in many years. This is happening on the heels of child poverty having the largest single year drop in the history of our nation due to the child tax credit expansion that was a one-year expansion during the pandemic mm -hmm. that Republicans failed to extend. So we have a situation here, people. We have a situation, listeners, where we have proof positive that policy change, like extending and expanding the child tax credit, 
actually lifts our economy, lifts our businesses, lifts our families, makes families be able to afford things like childcare so they can go to work, things like putting food on the table so families can thrive and helps lift us all. We have proof positive that this policy works because we had uh, over 40% drop in child poverty as our evidence. But then Republicans ended that critical expansion. And now after they've ended the critical expansion, we have our biggest growth in child poverty. It is so beyond annoying because you know what's annoying? It's annoying when you see a problem, you see a crisis, and you know there's a solution and you have evidence of that solution and the evidence of that solution points to boosting the economy, businesses and families. And then Republicans just out of spite, don't do it. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> no, the I mean, listen, I am all for trying new things, figuring out unique and, and, and creative ways to help American families. But that doesn't mean that we abandon the things that we know work best. And the child tax credit is one of the biggest tools that we have to combat poverty. It's money that goes directly into the bank accounts of struggling families. They decide how to use it. They use it for things like paying for childcare and after school programs, paying for groceries, fixing a car. So, uh, you know, a second member of the family can go to work and be able to travel to work, that type of stuff. I mean, this, and, and then it goes directly into local economies. And we know the numbers prove it. They can't deny it anymore. When we had a robust and expanded, extended child tax credit, child poverty saw the largest dip in American history. This week, we learned when that went away, we saw the largest increase in child poverty in American history. So this is a direct result of taking away a program that works, a program that is wildly popular among Democrats, Republicans, independents, everyone in the country loved it. They liked that it went directly into their bank accounts. They liked that they got an increase if you had a child under the age of six, because we know how costly it is to raise young children. They liked that they got it monthly. And most of all, they liked that they got more money um, that they were able to use in the way that their family needed it most. And so, yeah, I think that, you know, there are programs out there that have a good track record that are easy to, you know, carry out. Um, and an act from our government that we know work and add benefit to people's lives with very little red tape. The child tax credit is one of those. That is a program that Republicans should be supporting. Absolutely. What's your advice to listeners who might be frustrated hearing, oh my gosh, we know what policies work. Oh my gosh, we've got a major roadblock in Republican leadership who are just anti-family. You know, what is your advice? My advice is to, you know, don't get frustrated and tune out. This is a moment where you need to tune in. You need to reach out to your members of Congress. Moms Rising has lots of different ways to do that on our website at www.momsrising.org. We have um, you know, WIC action pages. We have child tax credit ac action pages, all that sort of stuff. We just had a WIC call-in day. And so you'll be able to take action on WIC if you go to our website, also our social media channels at Moms Rising. And I think also sharing 
your story and your frustration with your elected leaders, even if you have a Democrat, they need to hear from you on these issues. We're hearing that they don't know what's necessarily going on in America when it comes to childcare. And so even calling your Democrat senator or member of Congress and letting them know, listen, childcare is really expensive for my family. This is how we're dealing with it is really important. Letting them know that you're listening, that you're paying attention, that you're kind of watching them um, is critical because it, it, they need to know that voters back home are paying attention. For sure, for sure. And what types of actions by listeners, like when we say voters are paying attention, how do we show that? Like what types of actions show that voters are paying attention? Yeah. So calling your member of Congress still um, is like something that gets a lot of attention on Capitol Hill. And it really doesn't take that many people calling. Like we don't need like 500 people to call their you know representative in one day. Um, some of these districts are really small. Um, so I think that it they also, you know, just getting you and five of your friends to call to talk about child care in one day really does make a difference. Yeah, for sure. People don't realize that. Are there action pages or places people can go um, online to find out more? We have one minute left, so I'm hoping we can give like a little bit of tips. And then in that last one minute, share what gives you hope. Yeah, I think that, like I said, you can go to Moms Rising's webpage, um, check out our Instagram and um, Facebook and Twitter or whatever we're calling it these days, <laughs> websites. Um, and there's a lot of information there. Um, we have all of our call-in information up this week about the child care crisis call-in day, the WIC crisis call-in day. Um so, yeah, I mean, if you want to take action right now, say on WIC, um, since that's such a critical thing, you can text fund WIC to 888-518-5699, and that will connect you directly to your senator, and you can tell them to fully fund WIC now. That's one quick action that you can take this afternoon. I love it. And the hope. We have 30 seconds. What gives you hope? Uh, parents across America give me hope. Parents knowing that they are putting their kids first and speaking out and taking action and engaging um, in this beautiful democracy that we have in America, that gives me a lot of hope because I know that when we all speak together, that we can create real change. For sure. Thank you so much for being on. Thanks for all you do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, that's it for our show today. Thanks so much for tuning in as we tackle the top topics facing our nation in a way that requires the most boring disclaimer in the history of the actual planet Earth. Here goes. Views expressed on this show are those of the individual speakers and should not be attributed to Moms Rising, to this station, or to any news or social media service that may disseminate a recording of this show to the public or to any segment of the public. Boom! We'll catch you next week. We're gonna fight for love.